find uh, two passages of Scripture this morning, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, and Ephesians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, and we're going to just read that one verse there. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, I will begin reading in verse 18. I want to talk this morning on the subject matter, a life well spent. A life well spent. You'll notice this morning on the clock, I've got five minutes. Uh, I hope to have you chewing on a chicken leg by noon, okay? Uh, but anyway, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 15.58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And then over in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, underscore verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Lord, we thank you for your word and the way that your Holy Spirit takes your word and ministers to us. We pray that you would do that today, that you would bring conviction and challenge and also encouragement. We thank you again for Jonathan's life and we thank you for the fact that a life in ministry is a life well spent. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Being this time of the year, I want to open with an illustration that may seem on the surface a bit unusual, but I want to tie it in to, to Jonathan before I'm done. Uh, Charlotte Moon never married. She never had children. She died prematurely on foreign soil, away from all of her family and away from all of her friends. She died of the effects of starvation and of exhaustion and many other health problems. Charlotte Moon stood a whopping four feet, three inches tall. Now I've got a question for you this morning. Did Charlotte Moon waste her life? Did she waste her life? Well, let's learn a little bit more about her. She was born to affluent parents who were staunch Baptists. In 1861, Moon received one of the first Master of Arts degrees awarded to a woman by a Southern institution. She spoke numerous languages. She was fluent in Latin and Greek and French and Italian and Spanish. She became fluent also in Hebrew and later on also in Chinese. 
She was a spirited girl and a very outspoken girl, and she was very indifferent to her Christian upbringing until she was 18 years of age. At age 18, she would tell you that's when the Holy Spirit quickened her and awakened her to the things of God, and she was born again. It happened during a series of revival meetings on a college campus. Now, to the family's surprise, Charlotte's younger sister accepted a call to go to North China as a missionary in 1872. By this time, the Southern Baptist Convention had relaxed its policy against sending single women into the mission field. Charlotte soon herself felt called to follow her sister to China. And she was appointed in 1873 at the age of 33. She waged a relentless campaign to give women missionaries the freedom to go out in the fields and minister. She encouraged Southern Baptist women around the globe to to organize mission societies in their local churches and raise awareness of mission needs and to help raise more funding. We know that her vision was caught. All over the United States, suddenly, Baptists were giving to mission causes like never before. Now, throughout her career, Charlotte continually faced plagues and famines and wars and revolutions. And because there was no money, she shared her own resources with the Chinese people to the point of depriving herself. In 1912... She weighed only 50 pounds, 50 pounds. Alarmed at her condition, other missionaries arranged for her to immediately be sent back to the United States so that she could get the medical attention that she needed. En route, uh, back aboard the ship, Moon died in the harbor of Kobe, Japan, Christmas Eve of 1912. Question again, did Charlotte Moon waste her life? Remember, she never married. She never had children. Did she waste her life? Certainly not. We know Charlotte Moon today is as who? Lottie Moon, and her life has been an inspiration to many, to thousands upon thousands, to surrender to a life of ministry and missions. And every Christmas time, we collect an offering uh, to international missions called the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering to International Missions. Think of all of her gifts. Think of all of Jonathan's gifts. His gifts on computers, his gifts on sound and and lighting, all of his creative gifts and how he loves Disney. And he said oftentimes he'd love to work behind the scenes at a place like Disney. Has he wasted his life in ministry? Absolutely not. In fact, we see in our verses this morning that a life lived in ministry to the glory of God and the glory of Jesus Christ is indeed a life 
well spent. Much of what we do for ourselves one day is going to be completely forgotten when your loved ones are gathered around your bed and you're on your deathbed and you're saying your final goodbyes. What's going to matter in a moment like that? i tell you what's going to matter. What's going to matter is what's been done for Christ. Let's see how Paul develops that this morning. First of all, I want you to see with me that ministry is based on Christ's life. Ministry is based on Christ's life. He says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your life is not in vain. Now, you've got to understand where this verse comes in the context of the book of Corinthians. It comes in the context of chapter 15 that is talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There were some apparently at Corinth who were doubting that anybody could be raised from the dead. After all, that's not something you typically see every day, right? And so they were doubting. Some of them were even preaching doubts about a bodily resurrection from the dead. And Paul said, I want you to realize what all hinges on that. Because if men are not raised from the dead, then that would mean that not even Christ has been raised from the dead. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, you're still in your sins. And your faith is totally in vain. And moreover, you're found to be false witnesses because you're saying that Christ is risen from the dead and you're going around the globe and you're preaching a resurrected Savior and He's not raised from the dead if the dead are not raised. So in other words, you've wasted your life. But Paul says, indeed, Christ is raised from the dead. Because he's raised from the dead, that gives meaning and purpose to everything we do in Christian ministry. Without the resurrection of the dead, we would have no gospel to preach. Without the resurrection of the dead, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we would have no song to sing. Sometimes Jonathan gets up here and leads us in a hymn like victory in Jesus. But guess what? If there's no such thing as the resurrection of the dead, we don't have victory in Jesus. We don't have amazing grace. We don't have anything if Christ is not raised from the dead. But he has been raised from the dead. And so that means what we do in the church and in missions... It's not in vain. In fact, ultimately, it's all that truly matters. Folks, I want you to understand how high the stakes are. When we open up this book each week and we sing it and preach it, I want you to understand how high the stakes are. They couldn't be higher. Secondly, I want you to see Christ's life is to alter your life. You see, if there were no resurrection of the dead, no future reward, what purpose would there be in serving the Lord? But there is eternal life, there is judgment, there is a resurrection body, there is a reward in heaven. And so all of that encourages us towards something. We are to carry on today in the work of the Lord. 
The word Paul uses here in the Greek language for work is a word that really refers to work to the point of exhaustion. Work to the point of weariness. He says that's how we're to work for the Lord. That's how much your life and my life is to be altered by salvation. Where did, the, where did we get the idea that salvation is so one way? You know, God just gives me something and then I go, I go about living my life. I live for my purposes. I live my life. I do what I want to do. I want to do, I do my work and I come into church every now and then, get a pat on the back and, and, and get more from my heavenly granddaddy who supplies everything I need. He's there to meet all of my needs and make me feel good about myself. It's a false gospel. The gospel is when we are born again, born from above, born of the Spirit, we're changed from the inside out. We're not our own anymore. We are bought with a price. The Bible says we're to glorify God in our body. It's to change everything. We're not to live unto ourselves. We're to live for Christ. Paul says whatever you do in word or deed, do all to the glory of God. Is that how you're living your life? I hope so. That's living a gospel-centered life. Paul says here, be steadfast, be firm in your convictions. It is a word that means know what you believe and why you believe it. And then he says, be immovable. That word's even stronger. Do not be moved away from the hope of the gospel you have. Do not be deterred in any way. One commentator says it includes the idea of never, ever, ever becoming discouraged in ministry. Jonathan's position in church is a position where anybody could get discouraged if you weren't careful. Because he probably more than anybody else has to try to meet everybody's preferences, right? If you were to get, if we were to take a dozen of you right now, all ages, and you were to give me your car keys and we walked out to your car and I hit your key fob, got in your car and cranked your car, what would I find playing on your radio? For some of you, it'd be classical music. For some, it would be contemporary Christian. Some, it'd be older uh, Christian music. Some even like bluegrass. For some, it'd be 70 and 80s rock and roll. For some, country. For some, I mean, we just go on and on and on with that, right? And you know what the problem is? People come into church and they want to hear in church music what they listen to in their car on the radio. They do. Whose preference do you go with? Whose preference? You know, I was reading some blogs this week about where church music is going. I was really surprised by something. It seems like trends and fads in church music start on the west coast and they move eastward. It's, it's kind of like a snake eating a small animal and how that snake passes through the body. It's kind of that way in church trends and church music. It, it like eats it on the west coast and, and it kind of moves along until it reaches the east. And then new fads come along. 
And they were surveying and asking what young people want in church music, what millennials want. I mean, I thought it'd be a no-brainer. Everybody'd say, hey, we want contemporary. That wasn't even second on the list. Surprised me. Young people were saying the number one thing we want in church music is we want a combination of old and new. We want blended. Now the second one really, really surprised me and we'll just have to wait and see if this comes to pass. Young people were saying we want church ministry where the music and everything in the order of service is very liturgical. We want to go back to high church. That surprised me. And they're saying we want deeper thinking in the church. We want deeper thought and messages. We want to be challenged in our thinking and, and more liturgy. And then contemporary was third on the list. Wasn't what I was expecting to find at all. But my point in that is everybody's got a preference of what they want. And you know, it seems like the Lord knew better, right? Because what's he say in Ephesians 5? We're to sing to one another in what? In Psalms? and hymns, and spiritual songs. Apparently, the Lord himself likes variety. Look in the Old Testament, the different instruments even that were used in worship. Even the tambourine, which would, the ancient tambourine, more like one of our percussion instruments than our tambourine. And the Lord told them to beat that loudly in worship, loudly, and bang the cymbals loudly in worship. And then they'd play their wind instruments and their flutes and their stringed instruments and all, all different kinds of variety in the Old Testament when it comes to music. And apparently the Lord loves it all. Somebody leaves a worship service and they say, you know what, it wasn't to my preference. I'd say to that person, you miss what worship is all about. It's not your preference, it's not my preference. What does the Lord want? What's God want? God has said psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, variety. Apparently the Lord loves variety. He likes it all. Jonathan, probably more than any of us, has to try to capture that. Paul says we are to abound in the work of the Lord and the idea of abounding means that that the word picture behind that Greek word was a, a river overflowing its banks. In other words, we're not to be about what little can I get away with in ministry. Paul is saying the Christian attitude ought to be just the opposite. How much can I do for the Lord? I always hated those group projects in, in school because I wanted to make an A. You know, they break into groups. You'd be in a group of three or four and the science teacher or whoever it was, history or whatever, give you a big project. And there'd be a lot of points assigned to that for the semester. I wanted to make an A and there'd be people on there. They'd be perfectly happy if they got a C or a D or I think some were happy if they got an F. And they knew I wanted to make an A, so guess who they knew would do the work? It's like they thought, I want to do as little as possible. Paul says here in, in Christianity and in the church and in ministry, it ought to be just the opposite. Not how little can I do, but how much can I do? I want to do more. Paul says that's how we're to be. 
That's the biblical mindset. We are to abound in the work of the Lord. Well, I need to close. So I won't say everything I've got, but I just want you to notice what he says here about your labor in the Lord is not in vain. God recognizes what is done for him. Do you remember that story in the New Testament where the lady came into the room and she burst open that flask of precious ointment and she covered it uh, on Jesus' feet? And all the disciples, led by Judas, because he kept the purse, remember what Judas and the disciples said? What a waste. What a waste. And what did Jesus say? Not a waste at all. She has anointed my body for the burial. He said, I tell you that in the future, wherever this gospel is preached around the world, what this woman has done for me will be remembered. God recognizes and remembers The parable of the sheep and goats. He said, you visited me in prison. You gave me a drink of water. You gave me something to eat. And they stood back and they said, Lord, when did we do any of that for you? We don't recall any of that. And Jesus said, yes, you did. Whenever you did it for one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it for me. God remembers and God recognizes what we do for him. What we do for him, Paul says here, is not in vain. There'll come a day in your life, your earthly life will soon be over. And I hope, I hope you and I will have the opportunity in that moment to get a review of our lives, what we've done. What will be in vain and what will not be in vain. Jonathan, let me say to you and your family this morning, well done. What you've done is not in vain. May we have more with your heart and attitude and dedication. More. Well done. A life well spent. What about you? Let's stand. Just reflect on your life as you stand there in the pew right where you are. Just reflect on your own life in light of 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Are you trying to do as little as you possibly can or as much? I hope the latter. Think about your life. What's going to be in vain? Anything you do for yourself will be in vain. But what you do for others in Christ, it's not in vain. Live a life well spent. Say, God, from this moment forward, help me to live that kind of life. Forgive me for any shortcomings in my life thus far. Help my life to count for you, Christ.